Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Thank Appreciate you. that. Yeah, absolutely. Look at all this water we got up here. We got <laughs> cups of water. Yes, we we have, have old <laughs> bottles of water. We got coffee now. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, we should be well here. hydrated. I think so. I think we're set. <laughs> Man, well, I don't know about you, Jen, but I am so appreciative. This is our third time, and I'm already ready to call it a day. These guys do this every week, week in and week out. The tech team, the worship team, the pastors. I have tons of respect for what's going on here at, at Melbourne yes. and, and at, uh, at Calvary Chapel. But so. you have to admit, the 11 a.m. We've heard. They're, they're pretty awesome. Yeah, this is the one we go to. <laughs> So this yeah, is the one we go to. Yeah, you guys are our people, so yep. here we are. Yeah, it's fun because when we go to family life, it's like, this is Brian's wife, Jen. But when we're at Calvary Chapel, it is, this is Jen's husband, Brian. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, this so, is my turf. These are I, my people. I am, I am John the Baptist. <laughs> I am decreasing. She is increasing. <laughs> And I'm happy about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so we're just really thankful to be here today and share with you uh, just as we walk through the book of Ephesians. We're starting here, and as you've heard, we're talking about marriage, um, and he, you know, Paul's going to address some of those key relationships in our family. But we do want to acknowledge that not everyone in the room is married. And so if you're single here today, we do want you to know that we see you and that we understand that sometimes church is a hard place to be a single person. And so uh, we, we, we do. We got an amen right yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> we did. Yeah, it yeah, is. we know. We, we focus on kids. We talk about marriage. And, and um, we come as couples. And sometimes that's hard. Um, I want you to know that marriage is not the pinnacle of the Christian life. Sometimes you can feel that in a church. Right. And so Paul even says, he says, you know, it's, marriage doesn't complete us. And in fact, it can, it, it's a division of our hearts because once we get married, now we can't just focus on God. We've got to focus on each other. If we have a family, we're focused kind of on the things of this world. And so I do want to encourage us, we're going to be talking a lot about marriage today, but for those single uh, friends in the room that, that God has an amazing plan for you, that he can use you in amazing, special ways because you can focus on the Lord. And I know some of you want to be married, and that's great too. And uh, we've prayed before that God would continue to bring people together into godly marriages in the future. So yeah. we wanted to start it off with that, with that comment. Yeah, because those of you that, are, that aren't married and you're, you're sitting here going, ah, oh, I should tune out, I would just say you are emissaries. You are God's emissaries. Because I think, don't you think our country would be a lot better if moms and dads just loved each other better? Think about all the problems that are in our society. How, hey, we know it's better for kids. We know it's better for communities. We know it's better for churches when you have strong marriages. And so maybe you'll be that, that help. Maybe you'll be the one to send this message to them. You, you could be somebody that could encourage them. Uh, and we also have, we know that there's people that are, are about to get married. And a lot of stuff that we, we're going to talk about are stuff we wish we had learned. We had a couple that was in, at the 9 a.m. They came up. They got married last week. And they said, this is a great way to start off our marriage. And I wish we had heard what we're about to tell you when we had got married, which was August 3rd, 1996. Do the math. <laughs> 27 years. I can't believe we've been married that long. But it was back in Kalispell, Montana. Anybody been to Kalispell, Montana, Glacier National Park? This is where my lovely wife is from, and I'm really glad that you were from there because we got to do a wedding there, and we did it outside right in the shadows of the Rocky Mountains. I know. <laughs> You're like, who is that guy? Like, I, <laughs> did she get married again? What's, what's the deal? <laughs> Somebody ate that guy, and I think it was me. <laughs> so I put on a few LBs since then. You look exactly the same. Oh, thank you. Of course. Gorgeous. Yes. Exactly yes. the same. Mm -hmm. Exactly the same. And I, I remember uh, on that day, if somebody would have asked me, what was the goal? Like, Brian, what, why are you getting married? 
And I would have said something like, well, to be married, to be happily married, to just, I, I didn't really, I wouldn't have had words to go, I, I'm not really sure. I think just because I want to be with this person for the rest of my life. Is that a good enough reason? And you find that the why, why you get married will give you the fuel for your marriage. You know, and for some of us, we don't really know why we got married. And if it's, for, it's because we think the other person is going to make us feel happy, we're going to find out that fuel runs out real quick. <laughs> if it's because of a never-ending romance, you're going to find out that fuel runs out real quick. Raising kids, retiring well, maybe it's to make money, that fuel won't help you go the distance. And so God never told Adam and Eve that the goal of their marriage was just to be happily married. You know, and I think a lot of our marriages are that way. They're looking for their spouse to somehow complete them or make them feel good. or That's the goal of marriage is that somebody's supposed to make my life better. And like the old Baptist preacher said, a lot of marriages are like two ticks, no hound. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just sucking the life out of each other. <laughs> you guys laughed at that a lot more than the 9 a.m. <laughs> See? Don't you love that? I love this group. So... <laughs> Genesis 2.24, God gave a goal for marriage. He said, for this reason, a husband, a man, a man shall leave his father and his, and his mother uh, and be joined together to be one. The two shall become one flesh. And that's not just about being physically one. It was more than that. It was about there's something in their oneness that would do something to the world, that God had a reason behind their oneness. Uh, that was the goal. Right. Now, how many of you like coffee? Any coffee drinkers in the room? Yeah, yeah, we are big coffee drinkers. Have it every morning, of course, like most of us do. And uh, Brian is so sweet to make me coffee <laughs> most mornings. And uh, we love it. So here's how you make coffee. You have water and you have beans, right? So you just take the beans, pour it into the water, and there you go, you have coffee, right? Mm. No, 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 no. That, my That's friends, a Florida way to drink coffee. What do you, you mean? You grind the beans up with your mouth. Your teeth. Your teeth, yeah, yeah, your teeth. And then you just have boiling hot water. You pour it down your <laughs> mouth, you'll be set. Yes, that is the Florida way. We are in Florida. But this is not coffee. This is just two things sharing the same space. Yeah, and, that, and God had bigger reasons for your marriage than just two things sharing the same space. He didn't want us just to share the same address, the same bed, uh, to share space. Uh, and I know there's many times where we felt like this is what our marriage was. It was just two different things sharing the same space. Some of you are in here today, that's how you would describe your marriage, that you're just, you're glorified roommates, that there's been distance between you, that there's unresolved anger, uh, that it just feels like you're not on the same page. And we've all often said that no marriage is static. You're either drifting towards isolation, towards sharing space, or you're moving towards oneness, because that's the goal that God has for us. And the enemy wants nothing more than if you just be living under the same roof, but not together. We believe that God created marriage for us to experience what he calls oneness. And we would define oneness as this. Simply, oneness is moving through life together as a team. Move, moving through life together as a team. Now, you think about a team. Every team has a purpose. They have a goal. They have some object that they're going after. They have a coach. Uh, they have uh, other teammates that are specialized in what they do. And the same thing is true with us. We, we have a team. We have a goal that God's giving us to move towards oneness. And we're going to talk about why that's so crucial here in just a minute. We have a coach. We have the, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the spirit of God living inside of you, telling you what you should do, what you shouldn't do. And typically, that's when things go south in my marriage, is when I don't listen to that spirit of God saying, I need you to move now. I need you to resolve this conflict. And I stiff arm the spirit. And that's when things don't go well in my marriage. 
Um, we have different skilled players. In the case of marriage, you have, you have, a spou- you have spouses that have different skills, different we- they have different weaknesses, they have different temperaments, and all of those differences actually make the team better. And so, and it wasn't just husbands and wife that God commanded to be one. Jesus told the disciples, he prayed over them in John 17. He said, I want you to be one. Why? The whole purpose that they would be one, these disparate group of disciples, these people that you never would have found in the same room had not Jesus called them to be in the room. They all had different temperaments. They all had different skills. They didn't like each other most of the time. The reason why Jesus said, I want you to be one is why? The world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That there was something about the way the disciples loved each other in the midst of that diversity, that unity would point back to God. We come to Ephesians, and Paul does the same thing. He looks at this church, he's writing this letter to this church, and he's writing to two groups of people that could not get along. Their church would have been like this. If they would have come in on, at the 11 o'clock service, you would have had Je- Jewish Christians sitting over here, you would have had Gentile Christians sitting over there. At their July 4th party, one group of people would have bought fish and matzo ball soup, and the other group of, party would have, other group of Christians would have brought you know, bacon-wrapped shrimp <laughs> and eaten the hot dogs. And they had different ideas about what the gospel meant. And in that, in that setting, what Paul says, and our whole series has been to sit, walk, stand, right? And he's reminding them, I want you to be seated in Christ. And when you're seated with Christ, you recognize there actually is no division. This dividing line that you're making, Jesus has already torn it aside. In Ephesians 2.14, Paul says this. He says, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one, there's our word, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. If you think you're living like this in your marriage, what Jesus would tell you is that's just a fabrication of your own mind. I've already made you, one, made you one, you just need to walk in it, walk in that oneness. He goes on in Ephesians 2.22, in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives in his spirit. There's something about their oneness that reflects God, the unseen God, to a watching world. So he says, walk worthy of that calling. So it's worth resolving the conflict. It's worth getting over your bitterness. It's worth... Um, putting off those things that cause division and putting on gentleness and kindness and the fruits of the Spirit. Why? Because it's not about you. It's not about you living happily ever after. It's about your kids, your stepkids, your foster kids, your grandkids, and the people that are around you to actually get a vision of what God looks like, that he is unified. And that oneness brings us to that. So we come to Ephesians 5.22. He moves from talking about the church, these two different groups of people, and he turns his sights on three key relationships, husbands and wives, uh, parents and children, we'll hear about that next week with the Folkerts, and then we've got employer and employee. So when you think about those relationships, those three sets of relationships, think about how each one of those has the ability, has the possibility to cause us the greatest amount of joy and the greatest amount of pain. And so he's going to give us some instructions. He's going to say, that this is how I want these things to work. I've set this up. I want you to be one, and I want you to follow me. And um, if you follow these instructions, you know, we live in a broken world. There's always going to be issues, but it's going to bring the least amount of pain and the most amount of joy. Now, notice when we talked about this idea of coffee, that we said that this wasn't coffee, but when we do make a great cup of coffee... Um, I brought some coffee this time. You brought some coffee I this time? I finally did it. It's third time's a charm. <laughs> Again, we wanted to impress the 11 o'clock okay. crowd. Okay, what are you going to show us here? Hmm? Well, this is coffee, right? Don't get it on your computer. I'm not going to. Okay. Go. <laughs> and yeah. this is from our commons. And by the way, they make a good cup of joe. Yeah, that's great. So when that coffee was made, what had to happen? The beans had to be ground up. The coffee 
had to be boiled, they both had to give. Yeah. They both had to sacrifice mm-hmm. something. They both had to change. They both had to, to give up something. Right, and so what Jesus is gonna say, right as we start all these relationships, he's gonna go, in order for you actually experience the oneness that you want, the things that you desire, because you don't wanna be like this, something's gonna have to change inside of you. And I wish that I had understood that when Jen and I became a team. <laughs> when we became a team, I thought she was join, joining Team Goins. I mean, she was taking my last name. So, right, so why would I have to change <laughs> if she's going to join Team Goins? And so we're going to move life together on the path that I kind of want to go. And this really manifests, it manifested itself in many different ways, but especially on Saturday mornings. I noticed the trend that we had on Saturday mornings, especially early in our marriage, is I would wake up on Saturday, and I already had my agenda going in my mind. Any of you like this? Like, you know exactly what you want to organize in the garage. I knew exactly what I wanted to projects I wanted to do out in the yard. And after I got that good sweat on and organized some things, like I went into chaos and created order like a man is supposed to do. <laughs> and then I come back in, and I have a man-sized sandwich, and I get a man-sized <laughs> bag of chips, and I sit on the couch, and I watch a manly activity like college football, and hopefully a nap takes place. That's a great Saturday. <laughs> You're not supposed to clap for yes, that. Yes, thank you. I see that hand. No, 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 no. Yes, I see. Look at that guy up there. He's like, yes, that's Saturday. No. But somehow, I started feeling these passive aggressiveness from Jen not feeling the same way that I was feeling about my day. And she wasn't appreciating all the great stuff I was doing. Yeah, because when I grew up, Saturdays were the day that we all worked together to clean the house. And so we cleaned the house hearing booze at my own church. That's right, that's right. Okay, we are cleaning the house, and then after everything is done, then we can go do other activities, and you never take a nap on Saturday, only on Sundays. No, no, that's not got right. Got There's no, right. that's right on that one. <laughs> Who had a better Saturday? <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you. But what we discovered is that we were always fighting on yeah. Saturdays. We were so frustrated with each other because we both came into Saturdays with different expectations. And we were not on the same team. There was no oneness in our marriage on Saturdays because we would. We'd go about our own ways. We end up frustrated. We ended up huffing about the house or outside because we were uh, mad at each other and had anger in our hearts. And so after a while, we thought, okay, we've got to do something about this because we want to have we want to have a good marriage. Mm-hmm. We want to be one. We want to move through life together as a team. And so what we did is we would start thinking about on Saturday mornings, we would come together and we would say, what are your expectations for today? What are my expectations for the day? And we both tried as best as we could to come in to say, I want to do both. I want, part of me is gonna have to die, part of him is gonna have to die for us to be on this team and to make a Saturday great. And so what we, what we did is we ended up just talking about that. Yeah. And, and we would say our expectations. Right, yeah, we would get that. So much of what happens in marriage is that what's the frustrations are caused by unspoken expectations. Mm-hmm. And what helps so much is just to ask the question, what would you love to get? And it doesn't have to be Saturdays. It could be raising kids. What would you like to see out of our spiritual relationship that, we're, that you're not seeing? Um, what would you like to see out of our finances that isn't being done? And so much of us, the reason why we're not one in marriage is because the enemy is going, I want to keep them divided. So I'm going to keep our expectations down, and we're not going to pursue each other and go, what needs to die in me so that your Saturday, Saturday can flourish? What needs to die in you so that my Saturday can flourish? And something, and, and when, when that happens, what you get is you get that great cup of coffee. So. Yeah. 
Okay, so here we are. We're gonna move on in Ephesians 5, and I am gonna read Ephesians 5, uh, um, 21, which says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And what Paul has done now is he's kind of summing up the whole talk that he's given. By the way, if you haven't read Ephesians 5 lately, I know it's been a couple weeks since we went over it, it would be worth it to go back this week and read through Ephesians 5 because it gives some great instructions on how we can live and take those instructions into these relationships. If you read Ephesians 5 this week, your heart will be prepared for what he's gonna say in Ephesians 5.22 about husbands and wives. So read through that. But at the end of all of his instructions, he says, I want you to submit to each other. Because when we submit to each other, things, parts of us die. We have, we have to serve and love each other as a church, as a group of believers. And now he's gonna go on and he's gonna talk about instructions for a Christian household. So now I'm in Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. As we talk about that and as we uh, look at the small section that Paul gives to wives, um, it's small, but it's powerful. It's small, but it's also um, at times been taken out of context. It's been used. It's been misaligned. It's been um, abused. And so what, I, what I'm so appreciative, though, about Calvary Chapel is that we're going to... He- take this verse, these verses head on. We're not gonna push them away. We're not gonna try to teach them away and maybe say something about them that's not there. Um, But we're also going to look at them in an honest way of like, okay, we have a high value of scripture, but we have a high value of women and wives in general. Um, We we see that God does that throughout scripture and that we wanna do that as well. So we wanna be careful and I wanna be careful as we handle this passage, again, because it has been misaligned so much in the past. Um, but, but here it is, and we don't wanna push it away, we wanna hit it head on. It tells us, wives, submit to your own husbands. So I just wanna have like a working definition of what submission is. Submission is a willing choice to follow someone's leadership. Submission is a willing choice to follow someone's leadership. In this passage, the submission is between the wife to the husband. If you think about any institution that we have, the institution of government, the institution of this church, any sort of institution that we have has this kind of level of um, someone leading, others coming alongside and helping that leader uh, and submitting to them, following their leadership. That's how things work well. And God's first institution is marriage, and he says, this is how I wanna set it up. I wanna set it up that as he created Adam, Adam's gonna be the leader. And then he's gonna bring along Eve alongside him to help him. And where we find that, we see in Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, when you think of that word helper, maybe some words come into your mind. I know when I was a young woman, some things came into my mind as I studied the scripture and decided I wanna be a, a godly wife to Brian uh, maybe even before that, thinking about being a wife, what, what would that look like? And when I read that, I was like, hmm, helper. I'm not so sure about that. 
Some things came into my mind. One of the things that came into my mind is when my mom, if I was helping my mom when I was a little girl, she would say, you are such a good little helper to me. You are mommy's little helper. And I would think, wow, now I'm an adult. I don't want to be like mommy's little helper for Brian. I don't want to be less than. It almost seems like um, as I came out of college and I've come out of our culture, like, I'm woman. Like, I can do anything I want to do. I can be anything I want to be. And so much of that is true. I actually do believe that. But I do believe that when it comes to marriage, God's given us different jobs, different responsibilities. And as he created Eve, he says, I want you to be, you're the helper that's fit for Adam. Think about Adam. He's in the garden. The animals are coming to him. They're coming to him male and female. And he's naming them. And by the end of the day, he's thinking, you know what? Here I am by myself. I'm not the same as even the animals. And God says, no, it's not good for you to be, be alone. I'm going to make a helper fit for you. And he brings him and he creates Eve. And he's like, here is your gift. Here is your helper. And in the Hebrew, that word helper is the word azer. And the word azer means a help, but it means coming alongside with assistance and help for someone who's needing it. Okay, so that's the definition. But then God is so gracious to us, and he gives us a picture of what that looks like. And so what he does throughout Scripture 15 times out of, I think, the 18 or 19 times that it's mentioned, he calls himself a helper. It's the same word used for God um, throughout Scripture. And one of my favorite ones is Psalm 33:20. It says, we wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help, that's the word azer, helper, and our shield. So then when I started thinking about that and started thinking about how God was a helper to Israel, and when did God help Israel? When they were weak, when they needed his assistance, and God would come in as a shield and a strength. And what that did for me was that gave me some, um, a realization of like, this man's going to need some help. <laughs> This man's going to have weaknesses. He's going to have things where he has blind spots. Uh, he has uh, great talents and abilities, but so do I. And so as God has created me as his helper in this marriage, how can I come alongside him and help him with all of my talents, with all, all of my strengths, with how he's created me and the knowledge that he's given me and the background and the education and so forth that he's given me? I want to come alongside him as his strong ally as we lead this marriage and family. And so um, it's pretty amazing how God has created women. Uh, and when we think about helper and if it's negative, I want you to flip that and think of how positive it is and that God himself is our helper. And then women, we can wives I should say, we should come alongside in our, our husbands and give them help. Well in this passage, it also um, is instructed uh, that as we submit, that uh, we're given a reason. We're given a reason. It says that, that just as Christ is the head of the church, his body, uh, he's our savior, that the husband is the, head of the, is the head of the family, and as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in their husbands to everything. So our husbands lead and head up the marriage just as Christ leads and heads up the church. Just as we as a body believers are submitting to Christ, we as wives should also have that same thought for our husbands. How can I help him? How can I, in everything I do, come under that leadership and support him? Now, because this is kind of a delicate situation, 
And because obviously our culture would, if they were, if many people were in here right now, might, I might be getting tomatoes thrown at me. You know, it's a sticky situation, and rightly so, because it's been misaligned and misused so much. So what I want to do is I want to make a couple things clear. I want to make first clear to tell you what submission is not, but then I want to tell you some things about what it is and how you can live it out in your marriages for the women but the men need to hear it as well. For, what, for one thing, submission does not mean that we as wives are doormats or we are less than. We already talked that about a little bit, but we are made as, as the helper, as that strong warrior that comes alongside our husbands and helps. Both genders were created equally in the sight of God. We both bear the image of our God. And we see that in Galatians 2.28, where it says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. When we come to him, when he created us, whether you're a believer or not believer, God has created us male and female within the image of God. We have value. We are not to be doormats or to be less than. That's not what submission is. I want you to notice also that it doesn't say that women are supposed to submit to men. It says here, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. So it's not a woman submitting to a man. It's not even wives submitting to husbands. Like, I'm not responsible to submit to any of the other husbands in here. My job is to submit to this husband that God has given me. And so it's not a a demeaning thing for women. It's for the order of the marriage. And finally, submission does does not mean that you blindly obey or it doesn't mean that you follow your husband into sin. And it doesn't mean that there's abuse of any kind that's allowed or um, pushed under the rug in the, in the vein of submission. No, God tells our men, and Brian's gonna do a great job in a minute to teach on that, but when men are doing that to women or husbands to wives, that's sin. And God calls us uh, to hold people who are sinning accountable. And so um, we don't blindly obey. We don't follow our husband into sin. If our, if our husband asks us to do something that is against the law, um, to lie on our taxes, or you know, if the boss calls and um, your husband says, can you just tell, tell him I'm late? No, that's sin. Uh, we call that what it is, and we hold others accountable in a general and respectable way. If you are in a situation where someone has told you uh, that maybe you feel like you are uh, being abused or you are being mistreated and that you just need to submit and you just need to follow God, I would say, don't, don't do that. Um, I need you to come talk to me. I need you to get help. I need you to call the police if you're in an abusive situation because that sin needs to be held accountable. And the only way that there can be healing happened, happen the only way there can be healing that can happen is there for, for there to be accountability and for there to be that hidden thing to come out into the light. So I wanna be very careful with that and I don't want you to hear that uh, women are to submit to men in that way and or wives to husband. So if that is what submission is not, let's talk a little bit about what it is. It means cooperating with our husbands as they seek to lead our marriages and our families if we have children. It means having that spirit of oneness. We're not in a competition with each other. Like Brian said, we're on the same team. We're talking about oneness. It means encouragement for our husbands and supporting him as he seeks to lead our family. 
It means pray, praying for our husbands. It means sharing our opinions and working together to come up with solutions. It means sometimes, though, when we come to a fork in the road, for a wife to say, you know what, here's my opinions, here's what I feel about these things, but I, I trust you to make this, this decision. I wanna follow your lead in this way. So when it comes down, what it comes down to a lot of times is a woman's control over the situation. From the beginning, we women have wanted to control. We wanna rise up and we wanna control. We wanna control our husbands, we wanna control our kids, we wanna control our friends, our situations, and God says, no, I want you, just as you submit to me and you can't control me, I want you to open up your hands and submit to me first, and then I want you to submit in your marriage to your husband. So for wives, oneness requires sacrificing the desire for control. We as women, if we wanna have oneness, we have to sacrifice the desire for control. It doesn't mean that we lose our senses, it doesn't mean that we just blindly follow but it means that we open our hands first to God and then we open our hands to our husband. So let me address the elephant in the room because I know there's a lot of, lot of us that might have grown up in a home like this or we're living in a home like this where it's like, okay, yeah, the husband's the head of the, of the house, but the mom's the neck. And she's moving that head wherever she wants to <laughs> because he's not leading. He's not actually submitting himself to God. So in that setting where they're not moving, they're being passive, how can actually a woman submit in the best sense of that word, to somebody that's not seemingly living up to their end of the bargain? Yeah, I think that's a great question, and I, I think that's um, something that women struggle with all the time, because again, if we struggle with control, a lot of times men struggle with passivity, and like, well, just let her do it, let her have her way, it's a lot easier maybe when she does, um, but that's not how God created it. And so I think for a woman, I think a couple things. I think that when you pray and you ask the Lord, I think you need to start with prayer. You, you need to start to re-surrendering to God and saying, God, my life is yours. This marriage is yours. I wanna trust you in everything. I wanna do the right thing for me. Because here's the thing, with the whole control thing, the only thing, wives, that we can tr control is ourselves. We can't control what he's gonna do. And so we have to control and know what God is asking us to do. And again, that's why I say go back and read um, Ephesians, the first part of Ephesians 5, because um, it, it talks about all those things, about putting away anger, putting away bitterness, putting on uh, forgiveness. And those are the type of things that we are responsible for our life. And then we start praying for our husbands. Then we start encouraging him. Then we start saying, you know, this is, one, this is a great um, uh, thing to use in your marriage is that when I see something in Brian that I want him to do more of, uh, I encourage him in it. I praise him for it. You can use that trick with your kids. You can use it with your friends. Um, it's a way God encourages us because I know when someone notices something in me and they encourage me, encourage me in it, I want to do it better next time. I want to keep growing in it. So even wives, if you have a husband who you're thinking, yeah, I wish he was like Brian, or I wish he was like Dave Folkerts, or I wish he was like Brian Saylor, or someone you might see up here. Start praying for your husband and start noticing the little good things that he does and encourage him in that way. Another thing is, is that if you are in a difficult marriage that, um, and you wanna stay committed, you wanna do your best to, to, um, to submit and to put yourself in that, in that situation or in that uh, position, that sometimes you need someone to talk to. Sometimes you need a group 
that's gonna be able to listen and say, what about this situation? Because that's what we inevitably, it's like you, we can address a million different situations and you'll, someone will come up to us after the servants and say, well, what about this or what about this? And it's like, yes, those are things that need to be talked about. Maybe there's, um, you, you know, we have an amazing biblical counseling program here. Um, maybe you need to get into a woman's group. Maybe you need to get into a support group where don't do it alone. Um, if there's questions that you have or you need help or prayer, don't do it alone. Um, walk with other women along the way. That's right. And you know, it's interesting. Paul says, wives submit to your husbands. There's never a command where husbands are to say to their wives, you need to submit to me. Mm-hmm. Let God do that. And once we start realizing, man, this is a helper that's, that's beside me, that's in, in a sense God's saying, just like I'm a helper to Israel, that elevates the wife to the point it's like, why would I make a decision where she's seeing something different than me? Now, I'm not saying that doesn't ever happen in our marriage. I would say that's happened maybe a couple times where I've decided to go a different way and you said, I'm going to release control. And sometimes it's worked out really well. Sometimes it hasn't. <laughs> and I'm grateful for Jen that doesn't, see, doesn't say, I ah, told you so. But she had the right I've, to. I might, might have said that. You might have like hinted at it, <laughs> especially with that one ski trip where we lost a lot of money. Anyway, <laughs> but let's not talk about that. Um, but when I start seeing her as the helper, much like God calls himself as a helper, I would be foolish not to say she might be seeing some blind spots in me that I'm not seeing. She might be seeing something that I'm, I'm not seeing. And it might, be, it might be well of me to go, maybe I need to pause and recognize the ally that I have in my, la- in my life. So I think too many of us as husbands, uh, we, we, don't see, we don't recognize the ally. We see an adversary in our wife. So I want to talk to the guys now. Um, we're going to go over the rest of this passage. You'll notice it's like, wow, we got a lot of verses to cover. <laughs> it's okay. We're going to get through them. Husbands, we do have about three times the amount of instructions that Paul gives uh, to husbands and to wives. So he's just saying we're pretty hard-headed. <laughs> I want you guys to get the point here about what this is all about. And he starts with a command. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so he starts with the command, love your wives. And most husbands are like, tell me something I don't know. I know I'm supposed to love my wife. The problem is, is that we don't have a great definition of love. We tend to use the word love. We like spray it like WD-40. We just put it on everything. <laughs> if you can't fix it with WD-40, I probably don't know how to fix it. <laughs> and so it's like, I love burgers. I love my favorite uh, North Carolina Tar Heels. Yeah. I had like Brian Saylor. He was the only one that shouted out an amen. So I know I'm in Florida country. I love the Tar Heels. I love my wife. I hope there's some different level of love that's going on between ground beef, a college team, and my wife. What Paul does is he actually, of all the Greek words that he could have used for this word love, he uses the word agape. And agape is that divine, unconditional love. It basically says, I'm going to do what's best for you regardless of what it costs me. It's not a feeling. It's not something that comes and goes. It's not based upon on Jen's affections or her actions towards me. Because when God agapes us, he loves us regardless of how we treat him. Aren't you glad of that? And so in the same way in marriage, Jen's not going to always treat me well. She's not going to always speak kindly to me. She's going to have some passive-aggressive moments just like I'll have towards her. And in that moment, Paul is going, no, I want you to love like God loves. I want you to pursue. I don't want you to retreat. I don't want you to, to shrink back. I actually want you to, whatever it costs you, to do what's best for your wife in that moment. But he doesn't just give us a command and say, because I told you so. Because I think for men, that's a really tough thing to go, okay, love, love my wife. What does that look like? He actually gives a reason first before he tells us exactly what it looks like. You look at the next two verses. It says in verse 26, it says, here's the reason. To make her holy cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word, and to present her, he's talking about the bride of Christ, which is the church, which is us, 
to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. It's this image of a, of a wedding, and Jesus is actually the one doing all the beautifying. He's making the bride look good. He's making the bride come across as great and radiant and white and spotless. And then it says something weird. It says, so that he could present the bride back to himself, which is kind of a weird thing. It's this image of I'm walking down the bride, me, us, the church, down to myself. Well, that's possible when you're Trinity, because what is, is the image is, is that Jesus is bringing the bride down and presenting back to the Father to say, look how I've loved this woman. And here's what's interesting about our society and the world that I grew up in. I was trained as an early, early on to love, that manhood is all about loving many beautiful women. That's what pornography is all about. It's displaying as many images of beautiful women in front of you. And it's saying that's what it means to be a man. What Jesus does is he loves one woman into beauty. That's where he spends his focus and his time and his energy. All I'm doing is I'm going to focus on this one woman to make her beautiful, more beautiful than when she was given to me. Now, that seems really esoteric and weird, and how do you even talk about that? Well, let me give an illustration that makes a little more sense. How many of us dads in in the room have daughters? Anybody have dads of daughters in here? You'll get this. We have three kids. We have a daughter, Brantley, then we have two sons. And when my sons were born... um, Let's just say I treated them differently than when Brantley was born. It's like when Palmer and Gibson came out of the womb, I started throwing them up in the air, just like with the umbilical cord still on. It was like a bungee cord, and it was just throwing up and down, and I took out my machete, I cut the umbilical cord. It's like, this is my son. That's what I did. It's like there's something like Lion King moment-esque about this is my boy, but not with Brantley. When Brantley was born, she was born, I put her right in my, and it was like a cradle to football, and I stiff-armed everybody. (laughs) Nurses, doctors, don't mess with this little girl. Because you know that there's something about that little girl. She's got you wrapped around your finger right from the beginning. As a dad, it's your job. I'm going to protect this daughter. I'm going to make sure that she is cared for and loved on because I know that there's a day coming when she's 16, 23, and some (laughs) hormonally charged punk is going to knock on our door. And want to take out this little treasure. And that's the moment where I pull that little kid aside, that punk, (laughs) stupid kid that I knew that I was. And I'm going to go, see that girl over there? She's her mama's world. She's her daddy's treasure. And I just want you to know one thing. When you think about kissing and hugging on her, I've got no problem going back to prison. (laughs) Right? This is what we don't get when we read this passage. The reason, why, the, the reason why the why is so much more important than the how, how I'm supposed to love. We can give you all kinds of tips about how to love that, that, that person well, but if we don't get the why, we miss it. See, long before Jen was my bride on August 3rd, 1996, she was God's daughter, and she was created before the foundation of the earth. She was stitched together, and the Trinity put her beauty together, her personality together. And God's like, at some point in time on August 3rd, 1996, I'm going to give her to, to Brian Goins, to which I'm sure Jesus said, can I object? We, we're not really sure we got Brian right, and I, we love this. But to turn him, oh, it's like, like giving a violin to a gorilla. Like, seriously, is this, is this what you want to do? Is this your idea? Yeah, it's going to be all right. But see, there's no marriage in heaven. So all marriages is one long date. And it's my job as a husband to this girl to, like Jesus, bring God's daughter back to himself more beautiful than when I received her. That's right. (laughs) When we get that, it changes everything about what headship means. 
Headship has nothing to do with dominance, priority. You do what I tell you to do. You need to submit to me. This is what it says in the Bible. No, Jesus elevates, he actually elevates helper and he diminishes head. See, what head is, he, he flips the whole thing up on its, on its end. And he basically, look at Mark 10, 42 through 45. He's telling his disciples, you know, in our world today, Jesus called them together, his disciples, and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Do whatever is best for you, regardless of what it costs me. As a ransom for many. On the night before Jesus was to die, he told his disciples, come together. I'm going to give you my last instructions. I want you to get a vision and a picture of what it looks like to be a leader of the church. And what does Jesus do? He gets down on one knee. And he cleans the dirtiest part of the disciples. You didn't clean feet if you were a leader. That's what slaves did. That's what people that most people didn't look at in society and said you had any value. And Jesus goes, this is what a head does. A head takes a knee. And so when we get that, because you guys know what would happen if my daughter comes back from a date and she's been mistreated, she's been overlooked, heaven forbid she's been abused, what do I do as a dad? Yeah. I don't know what he said, but I agree with it. <laughs> Going after that joker. Guys, I don't know what your marriages look like right here. I can't tell. Everybody looks good from a distance. But here's what I do know, husbands. I may not know what goes on in your home, but God does. And if God's daughter gets returned back to him, and in your marriage she has been overlooked, taken advantage of, just seen as your little helper, heaven forbid she's been abused. You don't have to answer to me, but you are going to answer to someone. Because he sees all that. Mm. Sees all that. So when we get that, it changes their perspective. It changes our mindset that my role as a husband, as a head, is to bring my God's daughter back to her, to him, more beautiful. And so how do I do that? And Paul gives us a couple uh, quick uh, ideas of what that looks like. He says in verse 28, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. He gives two words there, two verbs, feed and care. And feed and care, it's, it's the word nourish and cherish in, in another translation. And nourish has this image, this idea of a, of, a, of a mom feeding a baby. It's ongoing. It's constant. It's catered to their taste, to what, what's going to help the baby grow most. Cherish is this word of bringing warmth to. Um, it's to, to regulate temperature. And all too often in my marriage, I can take Jen's temperature. Uh, I can see her from across the room. She's hot under the collar. I'm not talking about the good kind of heat. I mean, she's <laughs> irritated about something. And usually when I take that temperature and I get that read, I find another room with a bag of chips and a TV. <laughs> and Paul's going, no, no, no. You're going to need to cherish her. You actually, I need you to bring warmth to you. I need you to regulate that temperature. And when things go south in my, in my marriage, guys, you'll generally find me shrinking back from my responsibility as head. That... I don't want to initiate. I don't want to move into whatever conflict she's feeling. I don't want to move into the irritation that she might have. I don't want to address the situation that she's got going on. But to feed and care, to nourish and cherish my bride, something has to die in me. 
And here's what has to die in, in for husbands. Husbands, we need to die uh, to this sense of entitlement that she needs to change more than I need to change. And what Jesus is, and what Paul is, is saying to us is that if we're going to love our wives like Jesus loves us, we do whatever's best for them regardless of what costs me. So one of the best ways you can do that is just ask, like, when do you feel most nourished? When do you feel most cherished? When do you feel most loved by me? So Jen, just give me a few things. When, when do you feel most nourished and cherished by me? Um, probably uh, first, I She's think. She's laughing already <laughs> at this answer. <laughs> uh, when you lead our family spiritually, when you pray with me, mm. um, when you encourage me and spend time with me, because that's yeah. one of my love languages is mm-hmm. just having quality time. And then, uh, like, kind of what you just said of when we're in a conflict or having a fight or something, or there's just some tension, we're not, haven't talked in a while, that you lean into that and you don't retreat and just leave the room or leave the house or, you know, you're present yeah. and, and leaning into that. And I'll say with all of those things, none of those come naturally to me. My love language isn't quality time, so I don't always want to give that to Jen, but I know she really wants me to spend time and invest in her, and that takes intentionality. Uh, I don't want to move into conflict. I'm a professional stuffer. I stuff it way down deep until it becomes a landmine. Somebody else trips over, and I just blow up on them. But, but what she's saying is to be nourished and cherished, I actually need to be the first to move. Um, and, I, and I think, and, I, and praying. I mean, I could, 24 years or 23 years of our married life, Jen's number one prayer request on her prayer journal, and I knew what it was. It was that her husband would pray with her because I didn't. I knew that she wanted that. My problem isn't that I'm stupid. I'm just stubborn. And the Spirit of God was convicting me, and I didn't want anything to do with it. And so she just, there's an example of someone who's submitting to her husband, even though she knows something's wrong. She prayed for 23 years that her husband would pray with her. The last four years, by God's grace, I finally got over my intimidation and my insecurity, and I started grabbing my wife's hand and said, let's pray. Because what did Jen most want to hear? <laughs> Don't clap for me. <laughs> Don't clap for me. What did most Jen most wanted to experience is there's a king in the castle, and it's not Brian. She wanted to see her man humble himself to say, I need help. And here's what I found out is about men. As men, when we're insecure, when we're intimidated, when we don't feel confident, we don't move. And that's why the Spirit of God is in your life, because he knows you don't move. And so you, 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 you as a husband say, okay, Lord, where do I need to trust you? For some of you men, it's when your wife says, how was your day today? She wants more than just you saying fine. <laughs> and she wants you to actually unlock your heart and put words, like adult words, <laughs> to what your feelings are. And if you need to get a feelings chart, they have those on the internet. Grab a feelings chart and start going, I feel this, and I feel this. And maybe you don't feel anything right then, but say, I might feel something by tomorrow. Come back to me tomorrow. <laughs> And we'll talk about that. Maybe for some of you, it's to move into conflict. Maybe for some of you, the way she's going to feel cherished is that you spend like crazy and you don't care about your finances and you just expect her to deal with it. Whatever it might be, God is calling us to maybe repent on some things and say, let's move together and how do I trust God to help me get over my my sense of entitlement so that we can move towards oneness. And when you think about that, what ends up happening, Jen? What ends up happening is that we create a picture that when both spouses sacrifice, right, um, and read, the, read that at verse 31 yes, there. Yes, verse 32, you mean? Yeah. This is a, it's a profound mystery. And then verse 33 says, However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, 
and the wife must respect her husband. So we have kind of this sum up. He's like, this is kind of a big picture. This is a mystery as we've talked about today. And that, but however, I'm gonna make it real simple for you. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. You see, there's two different words there. Because presumably, we both feel love a little bit differently. Okay, so wives are gonna feel that we wanna be loved by being nourished and being cherished and being, you know, the, your, your number one. For husbands, most husbands are gonna feel love by the respect that we give our men. And to say, yes, I wanna, I wanna submit to you. I wanna follow you. I wanna put myself under you. I wanna be your strong helper to lead our family. And so uh, we have that last kind of charge of love and respect in this relationship. Yep. yep, and when we do that, people get an image. It's like, it's a profound thing. Baptism and communion are physical pictures of a spiritual reality. Marriage, I don't believe that it's a sacrament like the Catholics teach, but I do believe it's a physical picture of the spiritual reality. When a husband and wife love and respect each other, like we're talking about here, people get a glimpse of the unseen God. They see what love really looks like. So we got a challenge for you. Uh, for those of you that are married, on your next date night, here's what we'd like you to do. Uh, and you want to schedule that, and it's important to get away at least once, a, once a, one, maybe not every week, but a, a couple times a month, and have good conversations. And sometimes those conversations, you're like, I don't even know what to talk about anymore. <laughs> so we're going to give you a couple prompts here, okay? So ladies, for Jen, why don't you read this one? Wives, ask your husband, do you feel, or when do you feel most respected by me? Give him some examples, and then say, how could I show you more? And husbands, this is a chance for you in a humble way to say, this is how I'm feeling disrespected, and I would love for that to change, and be humble about that, both of you. Yeah, and for husbands, when do you feel most loved by me? Not do you know that I love you. When do you feel it? And how can I show that more? And take notes. And by the way, ask that question like every other year, because <laughs> it will change, okay? Peter said, live with your wives in an, understanding, in an understanding way. He didn't say understand your wife. He even knew that was impossible, <laughs> and he was married. But just try to live in an understanding way. Be more of a detective than a dictator. You know, how do I understand my wife's heart? So with that, we recognize that when a message like this comes out, it's easy to come in here and to feel, and all you see is everything you're doing wrong. All you might feel is, this is what we're at. And here's what I would say, then it's a gift that you're here at church. Because the gospel is all about fresh starts and new beginnings. And all that you need to do to actually move towards coffee <laughs> is say, Lord, what do I need to sacrifice? What, do I, what needs to change in me in order for us to feel like one? And for some of us in here, we need to repent of some big things. And all repentance is, is just agreeing with God that I'm going in the wrong direction. And it's time for me to go in the right direction. And so maybe sometime, we're going to have a prayer time in a minute. Maybe that's what you need to be asking God for. In order for us to be one, what needs to sacrifice in me? Not what needs to sacrifice in my spouse in order for this marriage to work. And then be willing to give that to the altar and let God do something amazing. Because here's, here's what's going to happen. It's going to change the trajectory of your marriage. You're going to start moving into oneness. You're going to start changing the trajectory of maybe your kids or stepkids or foster kids or grandkids. They're going to see something different in you. And they're going to get a picture of what love should look like and what marriage could be like. So let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for, for your love. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, you modeled what it's like to give up control. Your, one of your favorite phrases was, not my will, but the Father's will. And you showed us what it looks like to give up control. You showed us what it looks like to give up entitlement, that you had every right to demand obedience from us, that you could have walked this earth like a king, but you chose to walk as a carpenter. 
You gave up everything in heaven so that you could have oneness with us. You served us regardless of what it cost you so that we could flourish. Lord, I, I don't know what's going on in husbands and wives' lives right now. I don't know if they feel close. May they rejoice in that, be blessed in that. Thank God for that. Maybe they feel isolated like they're sharing space. Lord, would you give them the courage to move towards each other, to move towards you, to repent of what needs to repent, to change what needs to change, to do whatever it takes, because more is on the line than just their happiness. There's an image of God that needs to be seen, and I pray that that would come through our marriages. God, we need your help to do it. We need your spirit to change us and move us. So we ask for it in your name. Amen. We're going to close here in just a second. But I just want to uh, just want to remind you that on August 18th, these guys will have a lot more time to share on marriage. And so when you see that promoted, then I just thought they just did a fantastic job. And, and uh, thank you so much. And uh, it set a high bar for Barb and I next week for teaching on parenting. But uh, uh, with the Lord's help, hopefully we will be able to do that. And uh, I just want to also let you know, if you want to go deeper in this whole marriage thing, Brian, when his role with uh, Family Life puts out a podcast called Marriage with Benefits. Now, type that in carefully. <laughs> you know, other stuff might come out. Uh, but Marriage with Benefits, and they've done three seasons, I believe. I've listened to a lot of them, really good. Some of them are a little spicy. And, uh, but uh, he's got different guests on there, and uh, Jen is on there, I know, on some. And so you just want to go deeper in that topic. This podcast is a really great resource. If you are new here, we want to welcome you to Calvary Chapel, Melbourne, and we'd love to meet you after the end of this service out in our commons. We have a place in the center ring there called New to Calvary. Just make your way out there. We have some volunteers out there. Be glad to answer questions that you might have. If you're not a Christian, it'd be really, really hard to do what they've just talked about without the Holy Spirit helping you. And that's where it starts, is when we give our life to Jesus Christ. And I know so many of you have, I have. And if you want to ask questions about that, at the end of the service, Brian and Jen are going to be down here. They'd be glad to talk to you, as well as our, uh, others of our team, myself. I think my wife will be down here as well with me. And we'd be glad to talk to you if you want to give your life to Christ, if you have other prayer needs, you need prayer for your marriage. We're here for you as a church. Don't leave discouraged. So many people I know of over the years have gone through very difficult times in their marriage, and I see them now come out on the other end with God's help, have a strong, vibrant marriage, and, and there is hope. Let me tell you, there is hope, and it comes with Jesus. Amen? So I'm just going to dismiss you now. We're not doing a closing song. Reminder of the offering boxes at the, at the doors as you exit. God bless you, and have a great rest of your day.